and welcome to this Linklater's podcast on payments regulation. I'm joined on the line by a couple of our payments regulation experts, Gene Price. Hello. And Paul Harris. Hello. This is the second of a few episodes where we're taking a closer look at insolvency in the payment sector. In our last episode, we talked about the special administration regime for payment institutions and e-money institutions. Today, we're going to start the discussion by looking back on a recent case where a payments firm became insolvent. Gene, what happened? So this case is um, the Premier FX case. Now, Premier FX was a payment institution which was only authorised to provide money remittance services, and it mainly targeted the um, Spanish and Portuguese expat market. And it was controlled by its sole director and shareholder, Peter Rextrew, who died in 2018. And it was only after he died that it became apparent just how closely he had controlled it and how badly he had controlled the entity. Many customers started to ask for their money back and it became apparent that the firm didn't hold enough funds to prepay all the customer claims. And the firm very quickly went into liquidation only a matter of months after it had been through its re-registration with the FCA for the um, increased uh, security and other provisions under PSD2. So why is it that a money remittance firm would be holding money for its customers in the first place? Well, that was what I was really interested about when I heard that it had gone bust, um, because some customers apparently lost their life savings. And you would think, well, why were life savings going through a money remitter? I mean, there might have been one or two who were caught because, you know, they'd got sale proceeds for a property purchase or property sale going through. But a lot of people were caught. And of course, what came to light during the investigation is that the truth behind the business was somewhat different from what it had permissions to do. So you mentioned an investigation there. How, how has this all come to light now? Yeah, so in February, the um, FCA published its final notice, and that spelt out exactly what had happened and what had gone wrong at the firm. So it transpires that um, Peter Rextry, the head of Ferrimer FX, was very happy to hold clients' money without an onward payment order. Now, the FCA's view has always been that money remittance, you have to have an onward payment order. Um, you can't just hold the money and sit on it in the fact that um, a payment order may be coming down the line sometime in the future. So, in fact, as well as that, the Premier Effects customers were told that their funds were protected by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, which, again, is absolutely wrong. The, the FSCS doesn't cover payment institutions. Now, none of this would have really mattered too much if the business had been complying with its safeguarding requirements, because in, if that was the case, most, if not all of the customers would have been protected because the funds would have been in a safeguarded account held with a credit institution, or they would have been in um, in, in assets, readily um, realisable assets. But unfortunately, Premier FX wasn't complying with the requirements. And according to the FCA's final notice, um, Premier had, FX had, had 73 UK bank accounts in 33 different currencies, none of which were clearly designated as safeguarding accounts. Um, and as a, an authorised payment institution, it was Premier FX's job to ensure its safeguarding accounts were designated appropriately to clearly show the bank that the money held in those accounts was held for their customers, but it failed to do so. Paul, does this explain then perhaps why the FCA has been banging the drum recently about safeguarding? Uh, yes, it definitely does. Um, and I think you'll recall that the FCA published revised guidance for payments firms 
in July of last year, um, using COVID-19 as an excuse to tighten its standards on how firms should be safeguarding customer funds um, and stating that the guidance was to protect consumers in light of the impact um, that COVID-19 was expected to have on some firms' business models. And I think we actually said at the time that the pandemic wasn't really the real driver here, or at least it didn't feel like it was to us. Um, and I think it's now safe to say that actually um, a combination of the FCA's previous reviews of um, payment firms' activities, cases like Premier FX and Wirecard before that, where not just consumers but businesses were impacted um, by the disruption caused by a payment services firm that was failing, um, were probably all at the front of the FCA's mind uh, when they were making those changes to its guidance last year. Could you remind us then, what is the FCA's position on safeguarding? Sure, yes. Well, at a high level, um, the FCA says that safeguarding customer funds provides essential consumer protection in the event of a payment firm's insolvency. And it's hard to disagree with that. It kind of does what it says on the tin. If customer funds are treated in the way required by the relevant rules, then they ought to be safeguarded against the claims of other creditors in the event of a payment institution's insolvency and are therefore protected for the pure benefit of the payment service institution's customers. However, that's the theory. According to the FCA, the reality is probably a little bit different. Um, the FCA conducted a review a few years back into safeguarding arrangements and found that there were significant shortcomings um, across a range of matters, um, including firms not even understanding when the duty to safeguard funds actually began, <clears throat> to when funds are deemed to be relevant funds, um, and therefore when they need to actually be segregated, um, onto delays in segregation, and issues with reconciliations to ensure that the correct amount of funds are being held in the safeguarded account at any one time. And off the back of that, one of the key changes that the FCA has now introduced is to require firms to actually get an acknowledgement in writing from their bank or other custodian, confirming that that bank or custodian has no interest in or recourse against or write over the relevant funds in the safeguarding account. And you can see how helpful that would actually have been in the case that Jean was talking about, if Premier FX had chosen to comply, of course, um, because that acknowledgement letter from the bank should be able to demonstrate and be the, the key piece of evidence that would suggest that it's only the payment service institution's customers that have a right to those funds in that account. And that, of course, brings us back to your favourite topic, I know, which is uh, trusts. Oh, I, I do enjoy a bit of chat about trusts. Um, and we have talked about this on previous occasions, so uh, as much as I would love to, I'm not going to go in all of, into all of the background again, um, but I do think it's worth reiterating um, the FCA's approach on this has not changed. Um, it still considers that payments and e-money firms using the segregation method act as trustees of their customers' funds. They say that this is consistent with both the purpose and the wording of the relevant legislation, both of which according to the FCA, indicate customer ownership. And until someone decides to challenge this position, I think it's clear that actually um, there being a statutory trust, as far as the FCA is concerned, will form an important pillar um, of their supervision of safeguarded funds. Indeed, Paul, and you know I do love a bit of case law. Um, and so it's interesting in the FCA um, guidance, they specifically mentioned the um, super capital case last year. And that was an insolvency court case. But in that one, um, and this was payment institution, the court found that all the characteristics for a statutory trust being in existence were present. 
Um, now, while that finding was in relation to the PSRs 2017, the FCA has confirmed that it expects the same reasoning to be applied to safeguarding provisions in the electronic money regulations, um, a conclusion which we know several electronic money issuers have, um, have an issue with. Thanks, Jean. So the statutory trust point remain, remains to be fully tested um, and we'll see what happens uh, with, with future cases. But in the meantime, I suppose the question is, what else is the FCA trying to do to avoid incidents like Premier FX happening again? Well, as I say, the rules are only as good as people following them. And we know that in the Premier FX um, case, a lot was going wrong, um, aside from issues with safeguarding. But it's quite interesting to see what the FCA has done now. And there's a little bit, I mean, I was always cynical and said this was backdoor regulation back last year when it was put in under the auspices of coronavirus. What's really interesting now is what the commentary relates to on annual audits. So one thing they're asking payments firms to do is to arrange annual audits specifically of compliance of the safeguarding requirements. Now, under the legislation, it's only required for people who have to do audits under the companies. Um, Act 2006. So that's not every payments institution by a long stretch, but hidden away in the guidance, it says they expect every firm to do it. So I think this is a great new line of work for any auditors listening. It seems like a really good um, job creation scheme because under the guidance, an auditor has to come in and provide an opinion stating whether the firm is maintaining adequate organisational arrangements um, that comply with the safeguarding rules. Um, and it's not only good news for the auditors, but it also means the FCA gets to effectively delegate the job of checking compliance with the safeguarding requirements because it's getting qualified auditors to do this now and the firms get to pay for it. Um, so win-win as far as the FCA is concerned. Um, I think inevitably we're going to end up with a time when the firm isn't able to provide a satisfactory opinion on its safeguarding arrangements um, when the FCA asks for it. And as I say, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, especially if it's a firm that isn't required to under the legislation. Um, as we all know, the payment services regulatory framework doesn't load specific individuals up with the same individual obligations as we see under the senior managers regime. Um, so in terms of enforcement, it's very difficult for the FCA to go after individuals. So maybe the FCA is going to go down the, the sort of nuclear option route um, and say, well, authorizations are going to be removed if safeguarding standards aren't being met to avoid another um, Premier FX position occurring. Thank you very much, Jean and Paul. And there is a summary of the FCA's final notice on the Premier FX case on the Linklater's Knowledge Portal. If you have any questions or any topics you would like us to cover in future episodes, you can tweet at Linklater's Tech or email fintech.podcast at linklaters.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.